All right, guys, welcome back to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, stepping in for the fearless Dave Dubois. He's working on the next big thing. Now, one one major part of real estate is that it's always in change. And my, you know, my guest tonight here on the show has a mantra that really does speak to real estate, which is always level up. And so, uh, you know, Carlos Garcia, how are you tonight? I'm well. How are you doing? Um, you know, I'm pretty good. I mean, Winnipeg, the snow's coming, so I, I don't think I'm ready. I don't, I don't have my gloves or my toque. I got a toque, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna have to find my gloves and my jacket from last year. I'll tell you but, what, in Texas, we're ready for some cool weather. <laughs> well, cool weather for you is like summertime here. So, um, you know, it, it does get really hot. I remember I was down in Dallas, uh, 2016, and I think it was like late October, maybe it was early November. Mm-hmm. And it was just scorching. It was, and back home they were getting snow, and I was just thinking, like, what's it like in the summertime? Like, it must be a oh, one hundred and five. It's the it's ah. the opposite, right? It's just oh, like absolutely. Because we You're run cooking. from our house. Well, we run from our house <laughs> to our car where it's been running to heat up, and you guys probably run from your house to your car where it's been running to cool down, right? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. From uh, you know, the house is is cool. The ACs are blasting, um, but you can imagine uh, plenty of air conditioner uh, issues in the summer. <laughs> well, you, do you command start your car to cool it down? I try to. Yeah, yeah see, we can, we command start our, rarely do you command start to cool it down in Manitoba. We're like, oh, bask in the heat for the two, three months that we get it. We're always just heating everything up. So right you know, very similar thing. So the main thing and when when you you meet someone and you're at a real estate networking event people are like how'd you get started so let's start there and then ultimately let's talk a bit about you know how you about there's my canadian accent find out <laughs> let's talk about how you got addicted to it you know so where's the origin story how'd you get started so uh it it really began in college um you know i went to uh this university ut utsa university of texas san antonio and I was pursuing a degree in real estate finance and development. Um, it was a bachelor in business administration. And um, so I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to get into real estate. Um, that that degree program, you know, sounded sexy, like become mm-hmm. a real estate developer. And I was like, you know, those guys probably uh, do pretty well. You know, I wanted to have a lifestyle and an income that was, you know, um, with no limits. And, uh, you know, so I'd look towards real estate and that was something that I started to pursue. And along along the journey, it taught me how to network. It taught me how to get involved with uh, different organizations and really just kind of sink my teeth into, you know, what's out there. Um, but one thing I didn't know about was a residential investment real estate. So mm-hmm. after I graduated, um, I was looking for work and, you know, it's not like you just get a job and becoming a real estate developer. You have to, you have to have money, you have to have experience, you have to have credibility. There's a lot of responsibility. Um, One of our projects was to actually come up with a development plan. So I learned a lot about performas and financials and just how all that works. And I was like, man, this is going to be a long road. I I need to get my foot in the door somewhere, try to figure it out. And, um, but one thing I had was, you know, good work ethic. I was hungry uh, ambitious, uh, ready to take on the world. And, um, so I ended up finding my first, 
uh, opportunity in, in a real estate uh, job was uh, was with a, an investment brokerage. And um, what they did was they specialize in in wholesale real estate. So it was buying and selling uh, houses to investors. Um, they really didn't consider it a wholesale company, being that they were a licensed company, they were a licensed real estate brokerage. Um, mm-hmm. So it wasn't just the same. It wasn't the same as, you know, tying to a property and, and assigning the contract, that kind of thing. It was more like, hey, we're building up this marketplace, right? So um, so as I worked there, I mean, you know, the first interview, the guy told me, my my boss told me, um, you know, it's like, hey, you know, we buy, we find houses, we sell them to investors, you know, um, we make a profit in the middle. Uh, and and that's really what we do. You know, we go out there, we network, we network with different types of investors looking for different types of housing. Um, they have different strategies. And, you know, we also go out and we source those properties as well. So we had there was two teams, an acquisitions team and a sales team. So I started off in sales and, um, you know, just the business model was very, very uh, intriguing to me and attractive. And, you know, I was like, you know what, I think I can do this. This is this seems like something that's right up my alley. And um, as I got into it, it was very challenging, but it was exciting at the same time, you know, because the people that I was engaging with um, were cash buyers and they were the type of people that were going to invest multiple times, you know, they weren't mm-hmm. just a one and done, uh, type of, uh, uh investor, you Not know, a first time home buyer. Right. And you know, exactly one thing ever, maybe they exactly. stay in that house forever, you know, but an investor right. buys might come to you with five, 10 times a year. So, you know, you're turning that. So you say you started in the sales side. Is that like building the buyer's list? Essentially it, networking. Yeah, exactly. Right. Building the buyer's list, networking, um, uh, just learning the market. So, you know, I got the full spectrum of what was happening in residential real estate and residential investing. And um, I learned a lot without having to spend a dollar, you know, with the exception of getting my license <laughs> and yeah. some of the marketing. But um, other than that, you know, I was able to learn from other people's experience and actually how they, you know, evaluated a deal. And not everybody looks at at, at, a, at a property the same, you know, they, they try to figure yeah. out, well, where's the value? How can I, how can I make some money? And, um, that was exciting to me. Cause I mean, to me, it's like, okay, well, is it in cash flow? Is it in flipping? Um, you know, what's the angle there? Where's the value? Is it in appreciation? Um, so as I started to learn more about that, that kind of prepped me, uh, for the next role, um, which was to become an acquisition agent and actually go out there and source the properties, uh, for the investors who were buying them. So, uh, at that point, you know, I learned a lot more about the market. I knew the lay of the land. I'm I'm in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up here. Uh, mm-hmm. I've probably dri- driven laps around, you know, Loop 410 and 1604. So I know <laughs> I know the city yeah. ver- uh, fairly well. So that gave me an advantage. And um, so I was able to, you know, pick up really fast, find some good deals. I knew the good the good locations. I knew the rough locations. So I started to understand, you know, you know what people would pay now. You know, mind you, I know some areas are rougher than others, but there's a price for every product, you know, mm-hmm. and and once I understood that, then I was able to, you know, become, you know, a high performer where I was on average buying uh, at least, you know, five houses a month for for the company. And, um, you know, that so that, you know, you know, fast track my experience in, in sourcing deals and, and also learning, you know, how to invest as well. Yeah, a lot of people uh, start off in wholesaling kind of like in a bubble of their own they watch some youtube videos and they're like i'm gonna go out and knock some doors and get a contract but you're already like you're working in a, in like a system where you've got mm-hmm. a buyer's list to execute because that's the biggest thing like 
Pro tip to all the wholesalers out there. You can find all the houses you want, but if you ain't got anybody to move them to, like you're probably going to have to drop that deal. So yeah. you know, spend an equal amount of time on both sides. Now, what's interesting, I like what you said about um, evaluating the property. Mm -hmm. How did you get, because there was a certain point in my wholesale career where I was like, only the facts matter. Like mm -hmm. your opinion doesn't matter. The bottom line is can, you can buy it for this. And these are the deficiencies in the repair list. Like if you're trying to sell, I, I just got to the point where I was like, every time I brought more information to an investor, they just didn't, they just didn't believe me. Like they won't <laughs> believe you guys. They don't, they're lying. The facts are this, you can buy it for this. These are the things that are broken. And if you're spending time, like trying to like build dreams for other people, I actually found that it unsold people because I was putting my vision into their head. How did right. you... How did you, uh, you know, manage that those expectations when you're finding and ultimately moving these contracts? Well, the first thing was understanding what people would buy, right? So since I did have the sales experience, I knew what I could sell, and I understood my investors' buy box, right? So I had I had three different types of investors, right? I have I had investors that would do flips, and the flips that they would do were some of them were historic, some of them were higher end, but I mm -hmm. knew because they were flippers, they needed bigger margins because um things could go wrong. Costs can always go up really really fast. So if I can present an opportunity with enough spread between the purchase price and what the houses were comping for and what I can actually prove, right? So you mm -hmm. have to be able to prove prove a potential. We They call it after repair value. What I've learned mm -hmm. is like, don't use that word after repair value because you can't determine the value. You're not an appraiser. Yeah, right? that's so. not a fact. I, I even stopped the <laughs> like, Go and find your own because I'm going to spend three hours putting together some ARV report and you're going to look at it and be like, oh, I don't believe that. And it's like, fine, don't believe it. But here are the right. facts. It's, bro <laughs> it's broken. And I bought it for this. Do you want right. it? Like, right. And and so oh, one thing that I was really keen on was, okay, well, here are the sold comparables in the past six months. I was able to make sure that I was Facts. comparing um, one stories to one stories. You know, if they had a pool to a, same houses with the pool or without um, beds, bath, square footage, um, you know, those lot size that even matters as well. So anything that could give them enough information without like excluding anything that would you know lead them to believe that the value could be less i'm like look let me show you some of the lower values too so you know mm -hmm. the reality of what your house could sell for in the on the high end and the low end um so I, at least i get painted that picture and then here's my price now you figure out the repairs now what that's going to cost you um i also had investors that did the owner finance strategy so they ran their numbers a little bit different they weren't yeah. looking at comps at all they just knew like this is on the west side of town. I know I can sell this house for 150 in this neighborhood. You can't tell mm -hmm. me anything else. I'm like, cool, I'm not going to try to convince you any other way. Now, all you have to figure out is how much you're going to uh, spend on the repairs. And what I learned was those kind of investors didn't want to take on big projects. They didn't want the rough ones that were about to be torn down. They didn't, they, they hated those properties. Mm -hmm. uh, two bedrooms, one bath, stay away from them. So mm -hmm. I learned just like ignore those houses, focus on the three bedrooms, one bath, minimum square footage. I know that the sweet spot in those purchase prices were anywhere from in my time was like 60,000 to like 80,000. Yeah. And um, just depending on the location. And if, if were I just they, present uh, turning those into buy and hold is that what they why they didn't want the the like heavy lifting because like 
they're trying to get back to like a refinance position or what what was it that was scaring them off well here's the thing is that the majority of the investors that would use this strategy leverage private funds and as soon as like they a hard bar- money loan a hard money loan but it was you know it was a it was a private money lender you know maybe a doctor friend an attorney friend that has cash and just lending it to them jv yeah um so they're they're out there borrowing the money and it so they need to turn around quickly get it sold quickly for someone um that's going to buy the house from them uh owner finance who's going to give them you know a ten thousand dollar down payment they're going to they're going to create a mortgage for 25 years at 10 percent interest um, and then that's gonna that's gonna cash flow. So the sooner they're in and out, then they're not having to you know front load the payments. So yeah, they had to turn that around really, really fast because they're trying to scale. And once I understood that, so I was like, okay, this is why you need a property that you're not gonna put a lot of work into. Mm-hmm. And then also the red tape with pulling permits and you know, doing all that stuff that's that can slow down progress. And you know, if you sit on a property for a long time, you're not making money. You're just yeah. coming out of pocket, right? Um, so so that was another strategy I was catering to. And then the buy and hold, right? The investors that were looking for, you know, 1980s, 1990 uh, builds are newer. Now now they've kind of shifted the year uh, builds to about 2000 or newer. Um, mm-hmm. And those were just kind of cleaner cosmetic type of properties that they were looking to buy at a discount. But it was more about the rental rate, right? So if they were able to buy it, your rents for 1500 you know, you can, you know, you can do a, a you know, a, a cash out refinance and your payments are 1200 and it's cash flowing $300, then, yeah. you know, that's, that's a good buy, right? It has cash flow. And then also it's in a good location. So that property is good more tenants. than likely yeah. to uh, get good tenants and then also appreciate over time. So within five, 10 years, they can resell, they can sell it cash out um, on the equity or just hold it for even longer and use that do a cash out refinance to buy more property. So understanding these different types of strategies and these different locations where I can find these products just helped me deliver these deals on a silver platter, you know, just because I understood their buy price. If I understood the buy price, it made it a lot easier to do. Yeah, certainly like the same thing. Like I, at the end of the day, it was like buy and hold people, you know, figure out their criteria. It's a lot of like one percent, one percent rule. People they're like, oh, mm-hmm. if I can buy it for one twenty and I don't have to do much and I can rent it for twelve hundred, I'll take it. And that, right. that's great to know because one thing people should know if they're thinking about getting into wholesaling is it's it's not just finding them, it's not just selling them. You're providing much like a real estate agent. Uh, you're you're bringing the two together. You find a seller, you find a buyer, you close the deal. You make some money for like the hustling it took to get it. And what's interesting is you almost had like, you have a licensed brokerage kind of doing that. And I always always say this, you know, real estate agents, when I'm talking to them, like if you guys did your job properly, you would put (laughs) wholesalers out of business because why are we in business when we're wholesaling? Because we did more marketing. We did more calls. We did more groundwork. We we captured a larger buyer list than your mm-hmm. real average real estate agent who has pretty much none. They're just putting signs up and they're listed on the on the the multiple listing service. Right. So it's like if real estate agents really grinded it, and you've got a a brokerage now. So essentially, you've kind of like closed that gap and said like, well, then I'll just be licensed and I'll close the gap. Exactly. So tell me about tell me about the the brokerage and what you're doing these days. 
Yeah. So, you know, um, essentially before it was more contracting and reselling simultaneously and, you know, some assignments um, and exactly what you said, you know, what I what I picked up on since I transitioned and I, you know, created my own brokerage, I learned that there aren't any realtors that are are specializing in this way. I've actually put a few investment listings uh, on, on the market and man, I would say about 99% of the offers came from wholesalers. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, where, they're like, where are oh, the agents at? <laughs> well, they're, they're trying to get their sign on someone's front, front lawn, you know, right now they're trying <laughs> to get their picture and their thumbs up in, and they're like, Oh, I'm going to sit this listing. You know, there's some agents who will just, that's like their marketing strategy. They'll take a listing and sit a sign on someone's uh, property for 90 days, knowing full well, it's not going to sell at that price, but guess what they get? busy street with their sign for 90 days for free it's like okay yeah it's like yeah, yeah i always said if, if agents uh really like hustled they'd probably put wholesalers out of business because they'd be finding it before us mm -hmm. they'd have more access with the multiple listing service and you know if they're doing the calls and the networking that it takes to build the buyers list they would have all the components and you know that's why wholesalers make good money because it's work you know all we're talking about is hard work yeah, it, it is. And there's there's just a lot of opportunity there, um, especially as as time has changed. Um, sellers have become uh, more knowledgeable. You know, you have, you know, your, your Zillow and you have these yeah, other websites Zillow, that are like, educated. Oh, I checked my house and it's comparing at this and it's just like, OK, yep. here we go. They're, they're getting some information, right? So now what they, does the inside look like? Did you check the pictures of the inside? They're like, oh, there's only pictures <laughs> of the outside. Well, we're standing in this place right now. And like, I don't see a kitchen at all here. So that's not a comp. <laughs> like, this is Right, comp. right. And and your traditional agent doesn't understand, you know, how to compare uh, houses in this way to even price them where, you know, this could look attractive to an investor and even market it uh in that way. Um, so they're looking for the homeowner that's going to buy it and it's going to fix it up and want yeah. that sweat equity. But for the, for the majority of homeowners, they don't want to go through that process. You know, they want a product that's already, you know, fixed or, you know, rent ready or whatever. Cause it's, it's a pain. It's a pain to go through the rehab process. It's a pain to manage contractors, just so much risk. There's so many, you know, sketchy people out there. You have to have the you know, the right expertise and experience to make sure you vet them. So, you know, you have to be able to market these type of properties to the to the right uh, customer at the end of the day. So that's something that, you know, with my experience and my expertise that I'm looking to bring to the industry and being able to um, just connect, you know, investors with with sellers and, and you know, and nothing against wholesalers. I love wholesalers, you know, being able to find a way where we can all win um, across the board. And that's the name of the game right there. Yeah. I mean, you're essentially doing the the thing that I keep saying to these agents is like, I even had the thought of starting a brokerage too, because I was like, if I was listed, like if I was, if I was licensed holding, yeah, yeah, I'm bonded in a particular way. But if, if I could go and take the stuff that's, you know, that comes to the market and someone's willing to take a really steep discount because they're in this financial position mm -hmm. and they're afraid of real estate agents because they, you know, there's like this authority or this weird like aura around that this right. guy's going to come in and sell my shirt off, or maybe they don't like the commission structure or whatever, but there's a service in the connecting sellers and buyers. And I feel right. like, Oh, if, if I was listed, I could probably move even more stuff. That's the biggest buyer's list you can get. Right. Right on. So is that, is that the primary focus of your brokerage is to, to, to do this kind of like buyer first um, acquisition strategy where you're, are you are actively marketing for deals or are they coming to you or, you know, how do you keep that business, um, you know, going day to day? 
Yeah. So, you know, part of my, uh, I guess my, my advantage is that, you know, I have been in real estate for, for 12 years. And um, so I do have a network. I do know people um, I'm from the city, so I get a lot of referrals and, you know, that's really kind of where it starts. And then from there, it's, it's kind of just marketing and, and, you know, with, with buyers and sellers, it really doesn't matter, you know, um, especially in this time, it's more, it's more towards the buyers because, you know, People, obviously, the interest rates have gone up. People have mm-hmm. pumped the brakes a little bit. Quitting. A lot of people are quitting, but there's opportunity, right? There's a lot of opportunity because the market has to shift, right? Change yeah, has to happen. Itself, right? It's correcting itself. It's just a you know a matter of time. So if you're in the game and you're playing and you're negotiating and you're making your offers and you're coming down, you're being a little bit more conservative and and you're making a little bit lower offers, you know you you can still find win-win scenarios, mm-hmm. um, but you can't be sitting on the sidelines because the ones that are actually playing the game are going to be the ones that capitalize. And this, I think this is going to be the best time to actually buy real estate at its cheapest it's going to be because yeah, the interest rates all, have pushed yeah, it up. Gonna, we're going to see that when the interest rate goes back down, everyone's going to jump back in the game. They've been mm-hmm. saving money, waiting for the interest rate to come down. So if you're thinking, oh, should I jump in or not? Yeah, I mean- the other thing that, you know, to, to kind of like echo your point is when you're making offers back when it was hot, you'd be up against like 10 or 12, 15 people for the same piece of dirt. Now I might be up against no one. Right. It's right. like, I, I yeah, I was at the <laughs> competition has diminished. <laughs> well, I was like, it's like a bubonic plague of investors. Like everyone, they're just dropping out all day. They're like, nah, I'm out. Nah, I'm out. Mm-hmm. The people that are serious about making a career out of it, it's like wide open. I am legend. You know, there's no one around and you just right, exactly. walk into the streets. Oh, here's a thing. And then, you know, we, there's a lot of opportunity when the number of players in the game go down, you know, there's more loot to go around, but you still got to do the same work. So you're absolutely um, right. Building that buyer's list, I agree, is really crucial because you're going to have to renovate your buyer's list now because mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, it's dated. So exactly. You're talking about like, <laughs> You're talking about like leveling up, always leveling up. We were talking about the whole Mario thing where it's a game. So how do you apply that mentality to your business going forward for the next three years? Because things are changing. Mm -hmm. We all got to level up. We got to renovate our buyers list. We got to renovate the way we do business. Financing's got to change. Creative financing is becoming a huge opportunity Mm -hmm. for the people who haven't been in the game 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. What do you see the next three years looking like? Man, I I think for for the players in the game, for the people that are out there doing the doing the business, you just have to be more disciplined. You have mm-hmm. to be more disciplined. You have to be patient, but you also have to know when to take the leap because you're not going to see, like you said, you're not going to see the competition. You're not going to have that that uh fear of missing out. You're gonna be like, was well, this the one? Is this the right deal? Do I jump on it? Do I move now? Like too many options. It's too many options, right? So you you actually get to cherry pick, find the best deal that you can, the best condition, and when the price the price looks right, and compare it to what last year's prices looked like, even two years prices, two years, or even three years ago. Look, compare and start to see, okay, well, this is even lower than where it was three years ago. I'm going to move on this deal right here because that price is right. And it's only going to go up once the rates go back down. So Mm -hmm. 
So that's going to be one of the one of the main things is to have discipline and know when to make a decision and and execute and, and capitalize on the deal. Um, I think the next the next thing is to um, stay informed with what's happening in the market. Pay attention to the market trends. Pay attention to what's happening happening within the seasons and understand um, buying and selling behavior. So you know, like how many listings are coming to the market, how many houses are being sold, how much inventory is available, what is the foreclosures looking like. So you have to stay in tune with what's going on in the market um, consistently, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter, because, you know, the more that you level up your knowledge and the better decisions you can make and you know when it's time to execute. And then you can actually forecast and actually see when it's time to jump on something and or or also when it's time to pump the brake. So you just know, um, you know, which way to go and, and how fast to move. It's kind of a, you know, stop and sprint type of mentality. Yeah, stick to your guns, you know, like don't, now is not the time to like be gunslinging. Like you, you have the opportunity now. Like, like I was reading this article the other day, and it says um, inspections. You know, there was a time where, where you, to win a bid, you were having to go in without an inspection. But mm-hmm. you know, guys, if you're buying or even if you're going to be assigning it, like you can totally bring up a conditional inspection without having to actually like go in and go in and make committed offers now. So as it becomes a balanced market, I feel like. Yeah, I think that the opportunity is there and I think the number of players is down. So the the number of opportunities is going to go up. Um, how are you? I guess the thing that's challenging and here here we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up and then I'll get you to tell people how to get a hold of you. But people have to move somewhere when we buy these houses, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so how are you handling that objection in your business as... Um, people say, well, I'd love to sell you my house for 80 grand, but then I got to go buy one and now I'm under a new interest rate. Like, well, mm-hmm. how are you helping people navigate that as a, as a broker, obviously? Yeah. So it, it really comes down to, to the resources that they have. Like, you know, I don't want to put somebody in a position to where they have nowhere to go. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you have nowhere to go and you're not getting enough equity so you can move and even get into a rental then don't yeah. then don't sell your house like keep it hang on to it if you can if you need to sell and you can capture some equity because because of the situation then sell i mean don't wait for you know a circumstance to come up to where your back's against the wall you know they're about to foreclose on you and now you need to sell and you, you you don't get anything like that's that's a lose situation so you want to make it win-win. So if it's win-win, we make the best deal possible. We help them in the transition. Hey, you need a rental? Let's find the best option for you. Start looking now. Like, I don't want to pressure somebody to sell fast if they're not positioned to sell fast, right? Mm-hmm. If you can take time, take your time. Um, so being able to help people make an educated decision, that's going to be good for their living circumstance. Well, that's really mm-hmm. what I want. I want that kind of out- outcome because, you know, there's plenty of deals to go around. There's plenty of houses to be sold and purchased. I looked at the the MLS recently and inventory is is at an all time high. Um, so, yeah, here too. plenty of houses to choose from. Um, so I'm always thinking but when the prices when... kind of suck. The prices still kind of suck. The, like, they do. I, I'm not loving it. But. But at that at that same token, like the the gold's not going to be found on the surface. You got to dig. Yeah, you got to make that offer. You know, you got to make the offer. Make, an offer, <laughs> make a low but flexible offer, and see you if know, they uh, have any movement. You know, put your name in the hat. You know, and and really like 
you know, I think that it does come down to, uh, you, you, met, you mentioned contingencies um, and having option periods. You know, one of the things that, that I've experienced is, you know, when you're, when you're making offers and, you know, you haven't seen the house and you don't have boots on the ground and, you know, um, you're asking for these contingencies and your low offers are really low, like, you know, your offer is weak. So you still have to have strong offers and you have to have merit behind your offer because people mm -hmm. will entertain that, right? If yeah. you have merit, you walk the property, you understand it needs a roof, it needs foundation, it needs all these things. I'm going to spend X amount of dollars and I'm serious and I'm going to make a low offer. But you know what? I might put a short option period. I might put a two-day option period. Yeah, price just or to, terms, right? Just to make sure things are good. I'm going to put more earnest money out. And just to show you that I'm serious, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not just going to tie this up to waste your time. Like, you know, people want to know that if you're going to make a low offer, that you're going to be serious because if they're going to negotiate that deal, well, then they want to, they want you to close. Right. Yeah, so that's some commitment, right? Exactly. And that's, and or at that's least part the of glimmer, like showing your hand without <clears throat> committing to it. Like you gotta, you gotta like, you know, show that you're serious in whatever way you can without necessarily making that all the way commitment. Like here. I'll show you, but you know, you still, we still got to talk about the deal. Right. So I love that. So how can people get a hold of you? I know you got a podcast. I, I want you to, you know, throw that out there. And then ultimately, how can they get a hold of you directly or, or, or where, where do you want them to reach out? Right. Um, so I have, I have a podcast. It's uh, always level up. You can check it out on YouTube and Spotify. Um, I have, uh, you can check out my website, leveluprealty.biz, B-I-Z. Um, you can find me at on Instagram at Carlos G two one zero. That shows a lot of my lifestyle. I, I like to work out a lot, so you'll see a lot of that kind of content. <laughs> and yeah, you gotta you know, stay disciplined. And you can uh, send me an email at Carlos Garcia at leveluprealty.biz. Um, and those are the best ways to connect with me. Follow me, uh, like, subscribe my videos. Um, the content on my on my podcast is you know inspirational stories on how people have leveled up in their business, their knowledge, their health um all the way around so that's really where i can be found awesome awesome well i really appreciate your time and uh you know stepping away from your busy schedule to give us a little piece of it and uh yeah i'm gonna check out the podcast i think everyone at home should too and uh, yeah until next time guys see you on the next episode thanks bryce